Welcome to The Fix Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Robeck. Each week on our show, we invite a special guest to share their knowledge on health, wellness, and better daily habits so you can have the life you deserve. Let's get started. Today on our show, we have Eric Lovett. He's the founder of Urban Street Angels, which is a nonprofit that helps homeless youth get off the streets into shelter, as well as mentoring programs. Eric talks today about the power of giving back. On our show, we oftentimes focus on health and wellness, uh, but we rarely touch on the point of giving back and what that does for our mental state and our overall health. Eric, thank you for your time and welcome to our show. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me. Man, uh, I've been dying to have you on my, I've asked my staff prior to you coming on, what questions would they want to uh, hear you answer? And I got loaded up. I'm in a sense of overwhelm here, Eric, but we're going to do the best we can to have a nice fluid conversation. Uh, and I think the best question is just to simply ask you what inspired you uh, to start this organization? Well, uh, like I said, Sean, thanks for having me, man. It's been, it's been a long time. It's good to reconnect. And, um, <clears throat> You know, Urban Street Angels works with the homeless youth population, and we um, we only work with 18 to 24-year-olds. And the reason we chose that demographic is because it's the age that we feel like we have the best chance of changing the trajectory of a young person if they're, uh, they've lost their way. And sad to say, a lot of these young people have lost their way because... Uh, their family's not intact or it's a, uh, it's a pretty messed up type family. And uh, so being able to help them, give them that love and support and hope, and then to give them a better option that you don't have to stay in this uh, arena. You don't have to stay on the drugs. You don't have to stay there. You can get out. And I think the hope message for no matter who it is, uh, is so very important. And that's kind of what <clears throat> motivated me to start this. I was raised in the South, as you know, uh, Alabama. Uh, you can't hear my accent, I know. But uh, but being from the South and raised very religious, uh, there were some things that were just no-no. And so for me, as a gay man at the time, I was not out and really couldn't even process that I was gay because it was so much against our my religion, if you if you will. So when I did finally come out, I lost everything. I lost my friends and most of all my family and uh, was rejected. And I think over all these years coming back to this, there was always this sense of I never want somebody to go through what I went through, right. you know. So even though I didn't go through that at 18. I went through that at 28, you know, so 10 years later, feeling that rejection and trying to kill myself twice and getting into drugs and very unhealthy, uh, just kind of being very destructive. And so I saw that in these young people's lives because of nobody feeling nobody loves or cares for them or believes in them, no matter who they are, where they're from. And I felt like that was the important thing to do was to start an organization or to, at the time it was just opening up my house to just to let them be themselves, whoever it is that you can make it and you can do it. And that really was my motivating factor. You have to please share that with us. We, I mean, you, you mentioned you open up your house and I believe that's what spiraled into what you've currently created and and how it's developed. So what does that mean? Yeah. So I can remember going to the streets and we started with passing out waters and sandwiches and things like that to homeless youth on the street and, and clothes. We may have clothes or food. And, um, 
And I remember this one kid said to me, he's like, thanks for the water and the food, but what I really need is a place to stay. And his name was Stephen. And I said, so Stephen, tell me about your story. Where are you from? He said, I'm from Alabama. I was like, all right, well, how old are you? He goes, I'm 19. I was like, well, why are you homeless? And he said, I got kicked out of my house for being gay. And I was like, wow, you know, so much uh, that I can relate to. And uh, because of that, uh, he made, it was, it's kind of a sad story, Sean, because uh, I was like, he's like, thanks for the food and the water, but I need a place to stay. And I was like, all right, well, maybe back here in 24 hours, let me go find a place because there's got to be plenty of places in San Diego for homeless youth to stay. Well, there wasn't. And I... Uh, I talked to a friend of mine and putting up an air mattress. I came back 24 hours later to meet Stephen, and I've never seen him since. He was not there, couldn't find him, just broke my heart. And so I said, I'll never let this happen to me again. I, I will. If somebody says I need a place to stay, then I'm going to have a place to stay. So I brought the first two youth off the street and put them in my house. I got to get a bigger house and had eight living with me for two years and put them through therapy and drug rehab. and. Gave them jobs, washing cars, and uh, which spurred our social enterprise, uh, our 8 West Soap Company. And uh, now we've grown. So now we have over 110 beds in three different facilities. And I no longer live there. <laughs> I no longer live in the facilities. But, uh, you know, being able to see these youth uh, being kicked out and being rejected, but being able to have a home and have a safe place to where we provide food and case management and all these things to help them get to a better place is so rewarding because I feel like I'm doing my part as uh, a person that felt what they're going through. And I, I feel like in society, and I don't recommend everybody opening their house to homeless youth, but uh but I do recommend and I do promote people making their world a better place, uh, you know, their world where they are. Help us understand that. I, I know our listeners are thinking, wow, this gentleman opened their, his house to these youth. I mean, there's danger associated with that. What, uh, I mean, you took a lot of risk to be able to help people without knowing the consequences. What was it like? Yeah. Uh, all my friends told me I was crazy. And, uh, I think, I think for me, Sean, because I've got such a spiritual background, there was something in me all these years. If I can just dive into the religion thing a little bit, I don't talk about this much, but I was raised in the Baptist community. And as a Christian musician and all this, we were always told to act like Jesus or to be kind to people or do what the Bible says. And all I ever saw was people praying for other people. I never saw them doing anything. So I think an underlying thing for me and my spirituality was, uh, you know, when you step out from saying you're praying for somebody and like, oh, you need food? Well, go down to the shelter down there and I'll pray for you. You know, when when does it transfer into I've got a sandwich in my refrigerator? Right. You know, when does it transfer that, oh, you need shoes? Let me give you my shoes. You know, it, it's got to transfer like that because it's not just the organization's responsibility. And I, and, and I you know, I have an organization now, so it is our responsibility, but it's also individually still my responsibility. So just because I have an organization now and I have a, a big clothes store and all this stuff, I still have to practice compassion and generosity on a personal level. And if you don't do that, then I believe our cycle and our will of success is really tainted because we've always been taught <clears throat> 
you know, be successful, have a good job, have a good business and, you know, follow your dreams. But you've got to have that sect of giving back. It's not all about taking. It's about giving. And sometimes it's hard for us in our society to remember that. So I try to practice what I preach still. I still try to you know, be compassionate and give as busy as I am. But at the same time, I encourage others just to go out of their way to do a small thing a day or a small thing a week to be a blessing to somebody or help somebody. And it doesn't have to be a homeless person, but it needs to be somebody. That's right. You're, you know, and then you asked me to be on the board, but prior to you asked me to be on the board of Urban Street Angels, um, you, you kept, you were a patient of ours and a few different times, like, I really want to talk to you about something. Let's sit down and discuss something. And eventually it happened. And, uh, you asked me to sit on the board of urban street angels and, you know, your passion and your commitment to helping others get better and be better really resonated with our purpose and core values at fixed body group. And you're such an, a magnetic human being and your purpose is so on point that it's impossible to say no to you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and it's amazing the culture you've created and the team of people that I don't want to say below you. He said, Oh, you don't believe in this higher hierarchy. You're like, it's a, you guys co-labored together to create greatness. Um, but it's just an honor and a privilege to be around you. And I think that these kids see that and they see that passion and they see what you're trying to accomplish and it helps them change as well. How do you go through the screening process of finding the people that can come into the program? Because 18 to 20, you said four, right? Or 25, yeah. 24, that's transitional age youth. So that's when you're saying you have the, you have the best ability to make an impression. However, there's got to be a screening process to make sure you're bringing the right people in for success and their, and their safety and other people's safety as well. How does that work? Yeah, I learned a long time ago from my housing experience personally that you can only help those who are ready to help themselves. And I think it, it you know, it kind of goes back. Let me tie it back into some health because health is such a big part of my life. And that is uh, when I started uh, working out and trying to get healthy. You know, there's something's got to click in your head that I'm, I'm in trouble or I need to change. I need to better myself. And it's the same thing for our youth. It's the same thing it was for me. And that was, you know, when I was rejected and and kicked out of everything, I got in drugs. I got into living a lifestyle that was very destructive. And I had to come to the realization, just like those youth, of, all right, there's a better way. And I am ready to start this process. I don't know how, but I'm ready to begin it. And it's so it so resonates with me from my days of trying to get healthy are are my days of turning around out of my destructive lifestyle of drugs and and the scene that comes with that and the youth that are like, you know, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Now, does that mean I, I, I say I'm ready and I don't fall off the wagon? Hell no. You know, we're always falling off the wagon. But it's somebody there that's like, it's OK. You know, I know what it's like to fall off the wagon because look at my knees. I'm skin up too. So let's get back up and let's do it again. And I think in life, I think it has to be about that. And we can apply it to, you know, what you're doing, fixed body group and the health and fitness and what we're doing. You can apply it to what I'm doing with these youth who've had a just a messed up background and they felt like nobody's there to support them. It's all about 
living on this island where we feel like we're the only people that deal with this, <laughs> no matter what it is, but we're not. And so that's why I think it's important for us to also tell our story, yeah. whether you're a trainer or whether you're a case manager or whether you're a, a organizational leader, to tell your story because people can relate. It, it, it brings us, it humanizes us and it brings us on everyone's level that I've been there, I've done that and I can relate and you can do it. You know, you're, you're not simply bringing people off the streets and giving them a bed and say, good luck. It's a whole program. And I hope we can dive into that a bit. Um, and also the important of importance of mentorship in your program. Uh, can yeah. you help us understand what takes place at urban street angels? Yeah. So when a youth comes in, you know, the big thing about us is safety. So a youth is needs to experience that they're safe, they're secure, because when you live on the streets, it's very dangerous. Um, a lot of people die on the streets, sad to say. The drug use is, is so prevalent. And so if you're out amongst it, then you're going to want to use it and do it. So we bring them in and we get them safe and secure. But then we start talking, to, excuse me, we start talking to them about their passion and about what they want to do. And we connect them to therapy. We've got case managers. We link, it, we link them to education, whether it be certificate programs or, you know, undergrad type stuff, associate's degrees. But then job training, you know, we find out, we help them get jobs because everybody wants some money like today, you know, give me, right. give me paid today. But we also help them find their calling. So if we can help them get into something that they enjoy, it helps it helps them sustainably, you know, stay in that place. So we attach everything with that. So linkages to therapy, whether it be, you know, a lot of our youth deal with mental illness, whether it be depression or anxiety. So we connect them with a therapist. Um, we connect them to a primary care physician because a lot of our homeless population uses the emergency room for their health care, which is astronomical cost for the taxpayer. So we connect them to a primary care physician and, and then in turn provide them with all their needs get them into school. They have to be productive. So while they're here, they do chores, they show up for curfew, they do these things. So we're also implementing teaching them responsibility and the importance of that. And then after they get through our programs, we connect them to long-term housing. So one of our one of our programs is actually a subsidy program that they can go find their own apartment. We help subsidize that for a year and, you know, scale up, scale down type. We pay 100 percent and we pay 50 and then we pay 25 percent. So we help them get to a sustainable place or we help connect them back to a healthy home environment. And it could be somewhere else in the United States. So we'll fly them back home or if they're family, if they're estranged from their family, we try to get, we try to, and it's a healthy family. Remember, it's got to be a healthy thing and they got to want it, right. but it's really connected them back to a support system that was kind of damaged because of something. So there's a lot of steps to it. And so it's really finding out what the youth need, what they want, and then helping them get there and make it. And then they become successful. Uh, you bring up a story of a uh, you know keeping people safe. So I was in my we were in our rec room yesterday. I was went down there and uh, one of our youth who we had to dismiss for selling drugs out of the out of the facility last time. And so uh, you know we're always about second chances and third chances. And so they're like, okay, I'm ready this time. You know, and you're like, okay, let's do it. Uh, but he came up to me and and you know he's a 
uh, gangbanger and involved, he's got a rough life. He was raised in it. So I totally get it. I understand that. And so, so he's really closed off when he was here, but I came into the room and he literally gets up and runs across the room and he comes up and, you know, gives me a bro hug. And he's like, um, he's like, uh, I just want you to hear this, Eric. I really, I really, I'm going to do better this time. I want to do better. I want to make it. And so maybe the first time it doesn't click that they're ready for a change. Maybe the second time it doesn't click, but maybe the third time they see that somebody does care for them. And no matter what he did, we let him back. Uh, we're an organization of second, third, fourth, hell, 10 chances, yeah. if you're if you're willing. And, and then we see the life change. Then we see it happen. And then they'll utilize those linkages. And it's not just what do I do to get by to stay here for nine months? It's like, what what can I do to make my life better? It's it's about that. It's not about what I could do just to get by. Eric, what, what are those moments that, you know, this is not an easy project. You took on this endeavor and I don't, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm only assuming that what it currently is, wasn't what you're expecting or the obstacles you've been up against. But what are those moments where it's like arm chilling, eye watering moments where it just keeps you going every day? Yeah. You know, that, that experience yesterday is so funny because, um, it happens quite often, but I, let me address your first question. And that is, is it what I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't mean to sound, uh, boisterous here, but I, I envisioned, I saw this five years ago. I saw it. I saw a organization that housed hundreds of youth and I saw a community that gathered like this. Uh, did I know what I was doing to get here? Hell no. Uh, <laughs> And I think I accidentally stepped into a lot of it and uh, the team that's around me, because by no means is it just been me. And so I think it's and, and I think uh, I'm God's just had, you know, it's divine what has happened. And but with that. I, I, I envisioned this. I saw a community of youth who could relate to each other, who were struggling, who may be mentally ill or may be uh, addicted to drugs to understand that they're not alone, that there's a support system and you can mess up and own up to your mess up. And it's OK, right. you know, that we're here and we understand that. And so fast forward. Uh, it's the stories like yesterday or it's the stories of one of our young girls who actually works in our front desk, who was raised in the foster care system and a really messed up life. And she had a bad incident where she experienced some uh, a rape, basically, and her foster parents uh, blamed her that she was the reason it happened and and just just really bad, tough stuff. And so she's trying to build that relationship with them again and it gets really sticky because they want to they want to get things they want to build relationships but they got to stay healthy and we try to have to maneuver that you know because some people aren't healthy some people you don't need to be or stay around or stay connected to at least for now and so we have to maneuver that but now to see her flourishing to where uh, she believes in herself and she loves herself you know, that's the biggest thing is loving yourself and accepting yourself, no matter what that looks like, 
It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And that's where it's got to start. And then from there, walking to a place to where everyone told her she'll never have a job, that she's slow, that she's got a, a mental disability, she'll never be able to carry on a job. Well, she's working in our front desk right now. She's answering the phone. She does social media with me. She, she cut, you come in, she greets you. And, um, it, it, uh, sorry, but it, it, when you give hope to somebody who's never been given hope, the world is at their fingertips. And so I am in the business now every day of seeing people literally come to life who were dead inside. And I don't want to do anything else. Man, it's uh, you're just seeing your emotion right now. And you've been in this business. I don't want to call it a business, but you created this nonprofit. How many, how many years ago now? Nine years. Nine years. And Eric, um, you, you had a full-time job when you created this nonprofit and you saw the need and you filled the need. How does one manage a nonprofit organization at this, to this, at this scale, but also have a full-time job and managing your own life and your own health and wellness and your own sanity and your own ability to, to make sure that you you have a bit of Eric still left. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been a huge challenge, Sean. And, uh, this year I, I had to make a huge change and you know, Michael Manley, who was chairman of the board, of course. he came, he came off the chairmanship and he, uh, he left his law firm and he came on here and now he's running all the operations. And wow. I had to make a hard, a hard decision to, because, you know, you, you build an organization and you're so in the weeds and you want to make sure everything's right. But then the other half is you can't build the organization and I wasn't taking care of myself and and things like this. So I had to make a hard decision for me to be the best version of me that I can be. Then I need to uh, make some changes. So he came on and he's uh, he's basically running all the day to day now and uh, which is really lighten me up to where I can build. There's some other areas we need to grow. And so I'm really focusing on that. But I'm also focusing on my health. Um, I. Uh, you know, not that this, this podcast is about my health at all, but uh, I've, I've, lost, I've lost 20 pounds in six months. I've done it slow. I've done some exercising and changed my diet. And because I saw my life as a person who was giving back, I was giving so much, to be honest with you, that I was giving too much. I, I can't believe I said that because I was like, you can never give too much. But when you're not taking care of yourself, you can't give too much. And so I was giving too much of me away and it was causing me to get unhealthy. It was causing me to be uh, lose my temper. I was, you know, because it's about the work and, and all the time inside stress and my own self was deteriorating. And it was really just kind of eye opening. And so I think now where I am in my life is for me to be the best Eric that I can be. I have to take care of Eric. I've got to take time for Eric. I've got to, uh, I've got to be a better, you know, leader. I've got to be a better listener. I've got to be a better servant leader. And, and to do that, I've carved out time now to take care of me, which enables me to be a better leader to, to take this organization, even to, to higher heights. We're no longer in the house stage anymore, you know, where I had to clean the toilets, fix the stairs and everything else. So now it's, now it's, uh, I really have to focus on, you know, we need a substance abuse center for you. You know, I got to focus on these type things that I'm going after. Right. You're a, you, you help so many people, I guess the best question and be as direct as I can is like, who helps you? 
Who's your mentor? Yeah. Who, who leads you? I think what has helped me more than anything is my faith. <clears throat> I have to tell you that my, you, you know me, Sean, my faith, I've been a pastor and I was, I was hurt by religion, but you realize that that's really not spirituality. <laughs> so, uh, so coming back to my faith and my relationship for me, it's God. I know for others, it's, it's other things, but uh, for me, uh, my faith has kept me really stable. And I think it's foundational for me. It helps me to get up and it encourages me to, to, to give and, and to be a better person. I think also <clears throat> professionally, I do a lot of reading now and I try to uh, read books about people who have come down the road of entrepreneurship and, and I'm starting to realize, Oh, I'm not the only one that's experienced these issues, <laughs> you know, just kind of like we're talking about with you. And um, so, you know, there was a time I went through, I have a master's degree. And so I went through school and I was like, I don't want to read another book ever. And, and so, uh, but now it's to the place to where I think for me and my personal growth, uh, being able to glean, I'm able to, to practice what I preach and I glean off others that have come through some very similar trials and tribulations and, oh, they made it through. This is the way they did it. And so I love to read. Uh, I love to work out. You know, my life changed uh, when I went through my struggles because I started getting into a gym and started to partner up with partners that would help me uh, work out. And I started to enjoy that. And so uh, a foundational thing for me every day is to get into the gym and to it relieves stress for me. It it uh, allows me just to, to, to turn off for a little bit and just uh, really focus on me and, and to push myself. Right. And so those are the things that I try to implement on a daily basis. And, uh, and it's really done, it's done wonders for me. And if I don't do it, here's the thing. When I don't do it, I can tell that my day's different. You know, I'm, I'm different. I'm a different type of person and I get a little agitated, you know? And so I think it's been so important for me because I always thought, man, if I take the time to do this, then it's going to take me away from building this organization. I'm not, but it's, it's actually the opposite effect. You know, when you do nothing, but you just focus on work, 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 and you don't have a, a work-life balance, it right. just really throws you off. And it, it hurt. It ends up hurting you more than helping you. And so I've actually I've found now the opposite to be true. And the last year or so, I've really been trying to work on my work-life balance. And, and I've seen us grow more in the last year than we've grown in the last like three years. And so it's, it's kind of interesting how it happens. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, not to spin this on me and that just, it's, that's so important to give back to yourself and uh, a story when I was living in San Diego, as you know, I would surf five days a week and the days I didn't go surf and I'd come into the office, my staff would see my face and it would be a, a complete tone shift. And then it got to the point they'd be like, do you happen to surf this morning? And I'd be like, nope just had a double espresso, like you should probably leave and come back in an hour and a half and go get in the water. But it's that mo those moments, right? It's like, if you're not in the gym, you're not getting that endorphin rush blowing off steam and having that peace of mind for yourself. And it, it honestly sets the tone for the day. And I think for our listeners, it's really important to develop those habits where you're giving back to yourself. I'd like to ask you a question, but you know, is there, and I hope I don't put you on the spot here, but is there a piece of information, maybe a book or a person who has shifted your life for the better? Yeah, I, there's a book that I read in uh, before COVID, actually. And, and I'll just share some personal goals I had with you. So <laughs> I realized in 2019, in 2019, I had read one book, one full book in 2019. All right. Now, I know that's the, 
you know, for the people out there are readers. He's like, oh my God, what kind of person is this? I've gotten so busy with building an organization that I, I, I just really got off. So my goal for 2020 was I was going to read 12 books. And I made the goal. I made the goal and read a book a month. And the book that probably changed the trajectory for me um, last year and kind of where I am now in my life is Robert Iger's book, uh, The Ride of a Lifetime. I'm looking over at my bookshelf because it's sitting there because I keep, even though I do audibles, I'm a big yeah. audible person, but um, I always order the hardback so I can have it on my shelf. Don't ask me why, just like that. Uh, but I, I read that book and I read his story of what he went through starting out, you know, in the grassroots of Disney and or even uh, even before that in telecom and kind of where he went. It was just very inspiring to me. It was it, it just really made a, a difference in my life. And then the second book that that did something to me is by, by Dan uh, Heath and it's called Upstream. And it's basically changing the way we think in the industry that we're in and how we're going to think up, upstream versus we're collecting everything downstream. I'll share this story because I think it could be important to your listeners. <clears throat> but the story in this book goes like this, that the two guys, the two people, you know, in the water and they're trying to save these drowning kids. And the kids just kept coming. It's like they're in the water and they're just t- taking kids out of the water and fix their story and, and get them to the, to the banks, save them. Well, one of the people, one of the guys gets out of the water and starts walking upstream. And the guy in the water is like, what the hell are you doing? These kids are drowning and we got to help them. He goes, I know I'm going upstream to see why they're, <laughs> why they're getting in the water. What's causing them to get in the water. So that that's the whole, that's the whole methodology. I think our, our method has changed even as urban street angels is because our system's broken. Yep. We have a homeless population and they keep people are, still staying homeless. We keep building more houses. We keep doing all these services. There's all these organizations and we still have 10,000 homes. On the street. Okay. What's happening? All right. What's going on? Now is it, is it so, 10,000, is it 10,000 homeless youth? No, we have over a thousand homeless youth, but in San Diego, we have over 10,000 homeless. So, so my whole purpose now is, okay, we're not going to stay downstream. Yes, our services are important. Yes, this, these, what we do matters. But we have to go upstream and we've got to find out what's causing this to happen. And that's where we've got to start at least expanding and getting into the realm of what's causing this. And so that book upstream has been a huge foundational um, thing for me and my thinking and my life thinking and how we can do things differently, not just to do it different, but to really change the game. You're such a forward thinker. And I, I know there are other cities in this country looking at your program saying we need this. Am I right? Yeah. So I've had a few of the cities that have, that have uh, reached out and, you know, kind of what are you doing and how are you doing it? And it's really boots on the ground because we're learning as we go, as, as you know, I mean, you know, you, you know me. I when when we started this organization, it's like, all right, where's the niche? Where's the need? We want to go into the need. We don't want to recreate the wheel. We want to put a spike in the wheel to where it's needed. But what we've seen is the whole system is so political and it's so it so revolves around 
you know, we got to maintain our grants. We've got to maintain this and maintain this. And and our goal is to be out of business in 20 years. I, I, I want to be able to shut our doors in 20 years because it's not needed. And, you know, I say that to the, some of these other organizations and they look at me like, what? You know, and uh, but uh, but I, I, I really believe that we can do this. And and so. When we're thinking about now, I'm, I'm partnering with a couple of guys that were working on some real estate pieces of how we could create a community, how this could work, and then how we could take it to other cities so that they could adapt and do this. And yes, take it to other cities for free so that they can go and they can do this and they can they can change their you know, population and help their community and not just sit on this wheel of, you know, let me keep applying for these grants. Let's, we need homeless so they can keep paying us and get our money. No, no, that's not the, that's not the end game. The end game is for us to solve it. And so I'm kind of up, 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 I'm up against some battles there because uh, as you know, I, I, uh, I'm a disruptor. So I like to, uh, if something's not working, I want to fix it or I want to, I want to, I'm in that world. But with that, it gets very political. So I've even learned that I've learned this year that, wow, maybe I have to figure out how to get, get more involved in an upper level just because the thinking's so messed up, Sean, because we have, we have people making rules and uh, decisions for us and they've never even been on the street. They've never even walked outside to see a homeless person and they're trying to make rules about what's needed for a homeless person. It's just really kind of messed up. And it's these people that are determining also where the money's going to go. Obviously this project is so robust and and there's so many offerings for the youth. Our listeners are probably saying, how does one support this? And so how do, how do we get money to be able to keep moving forward and where we don't get stalled out? Yeah. And and I, I, I think that's a great question. And I, you know, we, we rally uh, individual supporters all the time. And I, but this year, in addition to that, because we do, we have to raise money on a regular basis, but I think this year it's also about us talking to our community and the people around us. Um, because we have to know politicians, we have to know people that are in uh, power, if you will, or people that are around people that make decisions of what we can do. How do we change this? How can we influence influencers in a way of, yes, I can get money, but I can also influence. I can influence the people around me and I can start talking about it. You know, it goes back to all these other issues that we face in society, whether it be our Black Lives Matter movement or our LGBTQ community. It's all about bringing awareness. It's like this is this is real. It's in front of us and we need to start addressing it. And, you know, it, it's just the homeless issue. It's, it's just a very... Uh, it, People want it to be over. They want to see homeless youth off the streets, but they don't want a housing facility in their neighborhood. Right. You know, so it's like we want to we want to see a change, but we don't want to be that close to it. We want to give you money from afar and still let me live in my house and not have to see homeless or not have to deal with it. And I think that mentality has to change, Sean. It's no thinking to it. It has to change. And I think that's been our problem. It's it's. And going back to the first, you know, organizations like us, there's a lot of good organizations and we need your help, but we also need your help to do something, not just give money. Right. Well said. That's when I, when I came into the organization, that's when we had, uh, I believe it was two houses 
uh, and our, I think we, I think we donated some health, uh, some fitness equipment, uh, in our transition. Yeah. And, and I remember walking through and, you know, and seeing Emmy, um, God rest his soul. He, uh, he, uh, was making soap in the garage and, um, and I want to talk about eight West because it's not, it's you, you obviously so, so forward thinking. You're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to house these kids and we're going to, we're going to give them a place and support them, but we're also going to have them work. And we created a company or you created a company called eight West. What is it? What is eight West and uh, how's it work? So, yeah. So the company's called eight West because at the inter, end of interstate eight West is ocean beach, which is one of the highest populations for homeless youth in the country. And our youth helped name this company. So, you know, remember I told you when we, I was in my house, the youth that I had living with me, I didn't want to just come and just live and sleep. They had to do something. I wanted to teach them how to fish, not just give them fish, even though giving them a fish is important. And so there's only so many cars you can watch or, you know, so much grass you can cut. So it's like, okay, so we started a soap company because it's very artisanal. You can make a bar of soap. And so it's all natural. Some of our soaps are organic and they compile it and Emmy and a few others were a part of beginning that, but Emmy just really held that together. And so the youth, we taught youth how to show up to work, how to show up to work and not be high and make something and complete something and feel proud about something and things like that. And so I think with that, we're also working on opening a coffee shop here in our building uh, this year. So we'll start a cafe and, and here we'll do the same thing. So it's not just about soap. It's not just about coffee. It's about the importance of, of understanding that your value and your worth. And I learned as an early, as a young person, because I came from a poor family and that was, man, when I, when I did something and I, I showed up first, it's about showing up. But if I show up and I complete something and I finish something, a task that I've been asked to do or that I've asked myself to do, man, it feels so good. And that's basically why we started our social enterprises because that's going to help a young person from just having a bed and, and, and having food and having safety and in their mindset go from poor pitiful me to, oh, I've got to get up. Oh, I've got to do something. I've got to accomplish something and I'm worthy. And so it starts to change that mindset. And man, how good does it feel when you show up for work and you make 20 bars of soap and you package it, and you write your name on it. And they're like, I did that. That's right. That That's me right there, you know? That's right. And that's important. It's so important. Yep. We, uh, we would have um, at Fixed Body Group. I remember we did fundraising uh, during a pride party and the, uh, Emmy would, uh, came, set up a table for eight West. And then, uh, some of the youth came to sell. And, uh, yeah. you know, I was, you know, it, it's one of those first steps where it's like, I'm not sure how successful this is going to be. I had nervousness wrapped around not being productive or not generating that much revenue for urban street angels. And we did, we generated thousands of dollars that day. Um, I believe we sold a few paintings and, uh, that was donated to urban street angels. And it was like, it was one of those things where it got traction from our patients and our staff to see that we can make a difference, that the youth were there helping the process and getting the word out and it just spirals. And if it's, it's like, a, like a kind of coming full circle, if we, if we didn't make that step, um, there'd be so many people that would not be involved in the, in the organization currently today. And it's just making that effort. And I wanted to bring that point up to the listeners, because if you think that you don't have something to offer, I promise you. It'll spiral if your intention is on purpose and on point and you're doing it for all the right reasons. Yeah. 
that's a, that's a good that's a good word, Sean, because it will spiral. And like you said, when it's on point and seeing those people, I remember I remember that like it was yesterday, dude. How we'd show up for Pride, we have those parties, and Emmy was there, and uh, the youth, and they just loved it because they saw first of all that. People didn't look at them like, oh, poor pitiful you. It was like they were doing something. They were they were there and people were proud of them. And here's what happens. The the clients are the people that that give to us our mentorship. You know, I'll get to our mentorship too, because people are mentors now for Urban Street Angels. And so they come in and they like, I want to be a mentor. Right. I want to help our, our youth. And I let them talk because it's great. They go in and they're like, I'm going to help them with this. I'm going to help them with this. And I'm going to do this. And, it, and they do. They, they help them. But in the process, do you know who gets changed the most? It's them. So they get in there and then I hear their stories and they're like, wow, like this, this young person was so transparent with them. I had to share my story and they changed me and, and all this stuff. And that's what happened. So in life, and that's also what I'm teaching our youth that I want them to give. So once they come through our programs or even some while they're in our programs, I encourage them to volunteer, but to volunteer away from Urban Street Angels. I want them to volunteer in another organization that they're passionate about. Because if they start giving themselves, then it starts healing themselves. And so our mentors and the clients there that day, they were coming and some of them didn't want to leave. You remember how they just sit around? They weren't talking to anybody. They're just sitting there. It's like you get in that light. Yeah. You get in the you get in the aura of healing and you're like, I don't want to leave this place, you know, and that's what we experienced. And that's what you experience right. when you give and you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Then you create this atmosphere that people just want to be around. Yep. You're the, uh, we all know this saying you, the average of the five people you hang around with most. And if you're going to be on the streets, hanging around with all the other people on the streets, it's going to be a pretty poor end result. And uh, for our listeners, we enforce this in our wellness program as well. And uh, we really encourage getting out and doing something different and finding those people that can make a change to your life. And you changed my life by asking me to sit on the board. And I'm going to be extremely transparent when I say I was running a couple a few companies at that point. And I was like, I don't have the time. I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to possibly do this? Nor did I understand what the commitment would be. And I'm, I'm because it was you, Eric, it was like a no brainer. Of course I'll help and I'll do whatever it takes and I'll learn about the organization and assist. And now we're, we're sitting here and I'm not sure how many years uh, we've been together. We'll just call it maybe five, but it was, uh, it's honestly has changed my life. It's changed my staff's life. It's changed my wife's life and, and the ability to be around amazing people that are helping so much. It's, you can't put a price tag on that reward and on that, on that mental value. Uh, so I want to thank you for trusting me and, and allowing our staff and, and our family to be a part of this organization. Man, thank you. Uh, you know, I need to be thanking you. You've been a blessing for us and thank you for trusting us. And well said, it, it brings us to a place of um, this is what life's about. You know, we're getting, we're, it's all about people. And that's why you're in your business. That's why I'm in my business and be able to collaborate and to do this stuff together is very encouraging. Yeah. You know, the uh, one thing I, I want to have our listeners understand is that is when the graduation day happens and, you know, you can follow Urban Street Angels on Instagram uh, and all the social media platforms. And what's great about uh, 
some of their posts is they'll show when, 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 um, a youth graduates or they'll hold up an apartment key because they're getting into their first apartment on their own. Uh, and that, I mean, that's just, just brings chills. Uh, how do you make sure that these graduates, if I can call them that, um, stay healthy, stay motivated, stay on track. What's the, how, how do you manage that? We do that two ways. First is through our mentorship program. So we have mentors that will connect with our youth while they're in our programs. So we we have three avenues. Our three main areas are emergency shelters. So we have a 24-7 youth emergency shelter, the only one of its kind, in San Diego. We have a trans- We have several transitional housing. So you go from emergency shelter into transitional housing, which could be up to nine months, depending on the severity of your mental illness, maybe your drug addiction or kind of the needs and then permanent supportive housing. So we help you get into those apartments. So a mentor will come in as early as transitional housing and they'll start partnering, whether you talking to them, hanging with them, all those things. And then they go along with them also into current supportive housing. So we, they never leave them. And so that's one way. But secondly, is we provide case management for up to a year after they get out of our programs. So it's not as intense because some of our youth have to meet with our case manager once a week when they're in our programs. But maybe when they're out on their own apartment, it's once a month. But it's really dependent on the youth. So if we see a youth is in more need, it's twice a month. But we'll case manage them and let them know that we're around. And then like today, we're doing a big Memorial Day event. I know we're a few days late, but it just worked out for our schedule. Um, and so on the Memorial Day events, all of our alumni, our graduates are welcome to come back and, and to join. So we try to stay connected. We try to stay. Um, and then if a youth runs into issues, if they fall off the wagon or something, we're there to catch them. Yeah. You know, we want to we want to help them get back on the wagon. And so so we're we're developing even that program out even more now, Sean, because we don't want them to get their own key and get their own apartment and then not reach out because they're ashamed. Oh, I was doing so good. And now I'm not doing so good. And so we got to get past that, that we're all like that. We all, we all have mountains and valleys. And so that's our big push. And so we, that's why we stay in touch. Well, as a society, what can we do to better help these kids outside of what urban street angels is doing? What can we as a society do to better yeah, I, I think the first thing we can do as a society is never have a preconceived notion of what our person's going through um, and I'll have approach it with an open mind. Like there's something going on here. There's something that's happening. You know, so many when I started the organization, so many people were like, why didn't that kid get a job? It was like, well, you don't know why I didn't have a job or she didn't have a job. So let's figure that out first. Then we can start you know, throwing stones like that or not throwing stones, period. But, you know, don't throw out those type caveats. And I think that's the first thing is we've got to be aware that there's a lot of underlying things going on that's uh, in society that we need to be aware of. And then I think the most powerful thing that we have is love. I, I don't think it's our our personal agendas. I don't think it's our what we know and I'm wise and you're not. Let me teach you. I think the most powerful thing that we have as individuals is love and the way that we love our fellow man or our neighbor or the person down the street. And maybe that means, and I know love is a tough word because we associate it with different things, right. but 
truly being able to love somebody where they are, that means I'm going to get to know them. That means I want to find out where they're coming from so I can help them best. And who knows, they may end up helping you more than you ever thought you could help them. Right. And so I think that love and compassion and then not, not having those preconceived notions as society, I think that's what we've got to get back to. Thank you for that. The preconceived notions, man, that so well said. And I think if we can all take a step back and not make that quick half a second judgment call when you see somebody on the streets or uh, misbehaving or walking across the street and not paying attention to the the stoplight <laughs> and, and making these judgment calls out of frustration and really understanding, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into where they are right now. And I think what's yeah. helped, helped myself, my wife, our staff is that um, prior to us being a part of your organization, there may have been some judgment and there may have been lack of uh, an unwillingness to help as much. Uh, and now it's knowing the depth of what happens to these kids and where they are, why they are where they are and, um, and how a lot of times it's not their fault. And they just don't have the resources to be able, like we did, to have the lives that we currently do and then to understand that it's time to give back so we can make that change. Absolutely. And see, it's a lot, man. I'm so happy that you're on today <laughs> sharing this information. And I hope people are listening and taking it to heart because it's so powerful what we're doing. Homeless situation in our country, especially California is, is, is such an issue. And to be able to tackle tackling, to tackle this um, from what was essentially a startup to, to where it is now is remarkable what you've created. And I want to go back a little bit to, you know, funding and, you know, you think that, okay, and I'm just throwing a random number out there. Uh, you get a grant for a million dollars and all of a sudden people might say that's enough. They're good. They don't need any more. Right. <laughs> it's like, there's so much that goes into it. And that's why the help from the general population, whether it be through events or donations is significant to making an impact on a, a youth's life and their ability to get them out of the, the, the trench that they were once in. Uh, can you share a bit about, about how our general population is helping Ur urban street angels, uh, make an impact? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think, I think once people realize how much it costs to uh, help somebody, <laughs> you know, uh, how much it costs and what it, what it goes into. And it, yes, it's a monetary value, but it's emotional and things like this. But once they see, the difference that can be made doing it this way versus jail or versus hospitalization. You know, in San Diego, 50% of our youth will be incarcerated. So a thousand youth on the street, 50% will be incarcerated and it costs the taxpayers $70,000 a year to, 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 to put one person in jail uh, to have them there for a year. Urban Street Angels, we house, give them all those things I talked to you about for $25,000 a year. So a third of the cost. So if people will invest in life-changing measures that are working and not allowing our government to take it on, whether it be the hospital system or the jail system or whatever, because that's not a rehabilitation area. All right. Yep. And so if you allow us and invest in organizations like us to do the investing and to do the foundational change, then we'll see a substantial change. And right. that's what happens. And so half of my job now is educating the general. So what, 
what does it mean that you're not involved? I've heard him say, well, I'm not involved in that. But you are involved in that. When somebody gets locked up, you are involved in that. And so half, half my job now is educating people to understand that you're involved. But let's be proactive. Let's think upstream, right. just like we're trying to do. Let's think upstream and support organizations that are making a difference, a substantial difference, and have the data to back it up and seeing life change. And then you're a part of something. You're a part of that change. And that's what I think is so important for everyone to hear. And I appreciate what you've said. And yeah, I felt like I was a lone wolf for like three years because I was out here. I was I was the case manager. I was the janitor. I was the drug overdose person. I was everything and still carried on the job. But but now it's 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 a team. It's a full team. It, it takes a village. And now the village has to move beyond Urban Street Angels and it has to move to your listeners and beyond your listeners to their community and their friends. And it has to move to where life change and upstream thinking happens among us all. And I appreciate the time for Urban Street Angels. And now I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second because I... I we need support. We need people to support us. We need uh, we need revenue. We're constantly doing that. Volunteers, all that. But but really, what I want your listeners to hear is what are they passionate about? What are the, what is wakes them up sometimes in the morning or keeps them up at night and in the back of their throat or in their mind, they wanted to do something. They wanted to make a difference. They wanted to be a part of something. That's what I want to encourage your listeners to act on. Don't sit back and do nothing because that's what happened to me. So if I would have not acted on the very thing that woke me up at night, the very thing that that that, that uh, got me up in the morning, then I would have, I'd have still be selling just insurance and I wouldn't have done any of this. Right. And so it's scary. It's risky. You talk about me bringing people in my house. Yeah, all that. You know, it, it's all kind of lumped in together now because right. it was like nine years ago. But it's about taking risk. It's about, it's, it's about doing something that no one else is doing. Not because you want to stand out because of that. It's because it's a need. That's right. So my challenge to your listeners is what is it in them? That, that is pulling them to make their world better? And how can they step into that place and not be complacent and not do it, but take a risk when everybody else says you're crazy? Because if I had listened to everybody else, we wouldn't be talking today. That's right. But to take that risk and to step out in faith and say, I'm going to do this. And yeah, you're right. I may have failed. And I did. I had to close the house. So in the midst of me growing, I had some turmoil. And I had to close a house and I felt very defeated. But in the midst of closing down a house, I was like, it's not over. I got to keep going. So even in the midst of building something great, you can experience defeat. It's about doing it, stepping out and doing it. And that's what I want to encourage your listeners today is to find that organization or to find that calling or whatever it is and jump in. You don't have to start an organization, but be a part of one. Just like you, Sean, just like your uh, Kristen, just like your your uh, fixed body. It's like be a part of something that's bigger because Urban Street Angels is not Eric's. It's not, you know, I've just been blessed to uh God's given me the ability and uh just given me the opportunity to to lead it. And it's the Urban Street Angels now is is all of us. And so that's my encouragement to your listeners. And I'd like to, I'd like to share a bit as well. And don't wait for something perfect to come along. 
Don't procrastinate <laughs> waiting to think that I'm just going to wait to volunteer for the most perfect thing in the world and be most, and wait for that inspiration. And he said, you know, I spoke about this earlier in the show. I had no idea I'd be a part of urban street angels until Eric gently guided me to a direction that has changed my, my life, my family's life and my staff's life. And uh, so take that leap, trust the people that come in with passion and you can see that passion. You don't, you can just see it. You don't have to listen to the words. It's about the tone and it's about the energy coming off that individual that is, is trying to do something great for this world. So Eric, I want to ask you one final question. Uh, thank you for your time, but I think it's very important for us to hear from you. Uh, what are you most proud of? <laughs> uh, I, I, I was thinking about that as I was saying, I'm, I'm most proud of that uh, God has given me the opportunity to be a part of changing thousands of lives. And in the midst has allowed me to save my home. So I'm most proud of that. Thank you. For our listeners, yeah. help them understand how they can get involved, how they can donate, how they can learn more about your organization. Yeah. So look us up online, urbanstreetangels.org. Uh, there's ways that you can get involved. We have a mentorship application online. We have some volunteer opportunities. Uh, we have some monetary needs. You'll see there's ways that you could actually go online and and purchase stuff for the youth and have them sent here. Uh, we have just regular donation needs. So get a, check our social media out, Urban Street Angels on Facebook and Instagram. You'll catch up on everything that we're doing and see all kinds of stuff. So, so don't hesitate. Get involved. Eric, thank you so much for being on. Can't thank yeah. you enough, man. I miss you, buddy. Hey, good to see you. Thank you so much. Talk soon. All right. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you did, please like and subscribe to stay tuned. See you next week on another episode of The Fix Podcast.